Hey, Philo community, happy new year. Like right now, today. If you're listening to these as they come out, yeah, it's today, December 31st. Well, I guess happy new year would be tomorrow, but you get what I'm trying to say. Anyway, I'm guessing you're coming off a big run of services, including the weekend after Christmas, everyone's favorite service, the one everyone's trying to get out of doing. And so as a result, you get uh, the youth pastors, one message a year is happening. Anyway, hopefully you've been able to take a few days off to be with your family. And if you haven't, you should, please do so. As a fellow technical artist in the local church, I can say that seems difficult to take the time, but after such a huge outlay on your part over Christmas, you owe it to your family and frankly yourself to replenish. A few years ago, I read a book by Jack Welsh, the former CEO of GE, the book's called Winning. And in it, he talks about how your boss really wants you to live a balanced life, but she wants you to figure it out for yourself. Really, nobody knows exactly what it takes to do your job or what's needed to recover from Christmas quite like you do. So stick up for yourself. Let your leadership know what you need. They may not be able to provide everything you're asking for, but uh, you know, if they don't know what you need to replenish, then you definitely won't get it. So speak up. All right, off my soapbox for now. On to the podcast. If you're new to the Philo podcast, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, Philo conference all the time. Our topics and guests are chosen specifically to help us with this goal of becoming more effective. And this episode is no different. I was working on a project recently with a friend of mine, Jim Sippel, and so I talked him into sitting down with me for a podcast recording. He's a master of lighting for video, and that's really my favorite topic of all time. He started lighting for TV and then eventually ended up working at Willow Creek. We were there at the same time. Our times overlapped, but we didn't necessarily work together directly. But Jim really brings a systematic approach to making video look amazing. So this episode is kind of technical, and we go deeper than I can normally hang with. I'm not much of a super tech person in that way, but it's so important for what we do regarding video in the local church, I figured we got to do this. So if you're using video in your church, buckle your seatbelt because your brain is going to explode. It's going to be awesome. All right, let's do this. I'm with Jim Sippel. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Jim and I go way back. I started working at Willow Creek in 2004. Okay. And Jim had- I started in 2000, here. yes. Yeah, we're already here for a little while. And so we kind of worked on parallel teams more than on the same team, I would say. Yeah, correct. Um, but now we're both uh, not at Willow Creek and do work together. Yes. Uh, yeah, so- Anyway, and we're happier to, for it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but well, uh, welcome to the. Well, I mean, we're podcast. just happier working together. Yeah, still. yeah. There you go. Right. Yeah. So, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you do now? Okay. And then maybe how you got to this point. Okay. Well, currently, since uh, leaving Willow Creek, I uh, I'm a freelance designer and director of photography, gaffer work. So probably half of what I do is design for television stations, studios corporate studios, just any kind of studios. And then once in a while, a church will bring me in to consult either on helping them to balance their lighting for video, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's iMag or broadcast or any other. Now, obviously, churches are have outlets for their content beyond the four walls. Right, right. So how to balance that between projection, stage lighting, and make it look good for video. And then occasionally I'll do a lighting design for a church if they're doing a new install or if they're doing just a renovation to LED lighting. Sure. So, what's your kind of your history? Like, how did you get involved doing lighting for television? Like, what's the 
My history is I, I spent uh, the short, I'll try and keep it short. The short story <laughs> is uh, I was in live entertainment starting in high school. I just worked with all my friends' bands and right, right. started doing lighting, then eventually started buying equipment. Then I graduated where I was doing uh, regional tours okay. for bands and stuff. So then I decided I wanted to get off the road because if anybody's been on the road, they know that life is not easy, especially if you want to have a family. Right. Wound up uh, getting a job at a television station in Chicago, started out in engineering, and then their lighting director left. And they knew I had lighting design experience, although it wasn't for television. So they uh, promoted me into the lighting design (laughs) or lighting director role back when television stations had lighting directors full-time. And uh, so I learned trial by fire. Um, The the short story is uh, the first time I lit something for television, the uh, production engineer asked me to come into the back room and <laughs> I thought he was going to beat me, but <laughs> he just looked at the, he's, he had me look at the monitors and said, you know, great, gracefully he said, hey, I appreciate what you're going for here in your looks, but you need to uh, understand how to control lighting for video because it's not the same as your eye. It, right, right. It, lighting has... Uh, or cameras have a, a certain range that it can uh, cover. Uh-huh. And back in that day, back in those days, it was when we still had tube cameras. Right. So tube cameras are very susceptible to light and burning and, and sure, not being right. able to register okay. lighting. So fortunately, this uh, he was probably my first mentor in teaching me how to light for video film. Right. Uh, the way he addressed it to me was something along the lines of, do you want to learn how to control Im- images? Uh, light for images, or do you just want to be like the rest of the video idiots that just light <laughs> and it just turn the light on and turn it on yeah. and it's good. So obviously that was loaded questions. <laughs> so I want to learn how to image. I want to like, be an idiot. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks for exactly. asking. <laughs> so he had me go through some exercises. Like he recommended I watch some films. That's when DVDs were first coming out and stuff. Okay. So we, uh, so he gave me a bunch of films from Godfather to I can't remember all of them. And uh, he said, you know, watch them so that you're familiar with them. Then watch it again with the light with the volume off, so okay. you're not listening to dialogue and you're just looking at each scene. And if you could figure out the emotion of the scene, where the lighting's coming from by the shadows, sure, right. the quality wow. of shadows. So, so that's the method I learned, and of course I read, and then I networked and talked to uh, other lighting designers. I just pick up the phone and call and like, hey, I'm Jim Sipple. I'm dumb as dirt. And I heard that I can learn <laughs> something from you. And, and that opened the door for a lot of uh, okay. other studios and stuff. So uh, so that was that's the short story. Sure, right. And then from long. that studio, then you ended up coming to Willow Creek. I mean, right. Few, yeah. So the story that at the time I was a production manager for okay. the television station. So I, was, uh, I had just made their studios available for commercial rentals. Okay. Before it was just all uh, whatever the internal programming was. Right. So Willow Creek approached me as a client. They wanted to shoot a pilot for a Promised Land curriculum. Mm-hmm. They wanted to use their studios. My uh, production coordinator at the time, she was the one that was coordinating all this because it was her church okay. at the time. And so they came in to shoot the their pilot. They were struggling a lot because <laughs> they had never done anything of that scale before in video. And after uh, hearing the how the first day went and that my crew was going in overtime and I was being asked to make adjustments. I came down to talk to uh, their director at the time, program director, tech, whatever, uh, whoever's leading the charge <laughs> yeah, here. Right, yeah. And we talked about different ways of like, again, I said, I understand the approach you're trying to take, but I think there's some better ways you could be doing this mm-hmm. that'll save you some time and money. And So after having those conversations, a year later I was approached with, hey, I would you like to come to Willow Creek and you know, do this full time for us. And I said, no, thank you. I don't want to work for a church. Uh, 
but they uh, wound up subcontracting me for uh, shooting the rest of the Promise Line curriculum because I guess that pilot sold the idea for financing. Okay. And so Willow Creek contracted me for 18 months to produce and do product, well, produce, and as we all know at churches, you do everything. So lighting and shooting, <laughs> the Promise Line curriculum, which we wound up doing 54 videos in 18 months. Oh, and, wow. And that was everything from stage. We had to actually do screenplay adaptation because it was a stage performance, but we had to, and then there was no set, so we had to design sure, sets right, for right. it. And so it was like shooting uh, 54 short features, short films, and yeah. that was a lot of fun. And and uh, we got it done. So it was a very, it was one of the most difficult projects I ever worked on, but it was also the most memorable great project. Memories, I worked right? yeah, 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 absolutely. A lot of creativity, a lot of great people I worked with. Yeah, so well, then they offered to have me stay on. And okay. I did for 13 years. Yeah, wow. So 13. Yep. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that some of the hardest things that we get to be a part of are often the most memorable and the sweetest memories right. we have? I mean, we're obviously delusional because yeah. <laughs> they were not easy, but yes, for well, some reason, our brains shut that part off yeah. and just remember the good times. Well, you yeah. certainly learn the value of less is more. Yeah. <laughs> so. so one of the things we're talking about today is this idea of lighting for video, mm-hmm. for broadcast, for iMag. It's something that I love talking about because mm-hmm. it is something I feel like most lighting people approach lighting with what I'm looking at with my eye. Right. And generally speaking, that doesn't work on video. Right. And just as you were kind of telling your story, I was thinking about part of my story that I forgotten before we were sitting down here. So I was an audio engineer and who became a video director mm-hmm. out of necessity. Right. Somebody's got to do this. Right. And the videos look so bad because the lighting was so bad. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, if I ever get a chance to do lighting, mm-hmm. I know how I'm going to make this better right? for video. right? And so then I did become the lighting person. And so I started from the place of how can we make this look good on video? right? And hopefully it still looks good, you know, to the people sitting in the room. right? And so I, as the lighting person, I had a monitor and I just would adjust, I would get a lighting look I really loved and then I would look at the monitor and then adjust down. Yeah, it still looks good. Record. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe just let's talk a little bit about why is that? Why doesn't okay. it look as good? Or why does it look so different sure. to my eye than on camera? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll go through the example of one uh, I was helping Willow Creek adjust for their iMag mm-hmm. at the time as they were doing more and more of the Global Summit and just more of the video is getting outside of the church. So one of the challenges that not only with that church, but most churches uh, that I've worked with is backgrounds of the people that are doing the lighting. Right. More times than that, they're coming at it from a theatrical background totally, yeah. mm-hmm. and not a video background. So the, the basic difference between the two lighting styles is in theater, you're using lighting to direct the attention of the audience. Right, right. So you make the brightest thing on stage is where you want everybody to look. In video... The camera is different points of the audience and you have to light so that it's the same for, as close to being the same for every camera position you have. Right. So that means that you're not using lighting to direct the cameras, you're using the cameras to direct the audience right, right. attention. So making it the brightest thing on stage for camera makes it the brightest bright. thing in the image and you can't see anything else. Right, right. Or it makes it difficult to define whatever else is in that scene. So it becomes a, a, an exercise in contrast control. Sure. Theater uses high contrast ranges to control the, the vision. 
videos using lower contrast ranges to control the vision. And and again, this is simply stated because totally, you get ten yeah. lighting designers in a room and you have ten yeah. different <laughs> definitions of yeah. how to do things. So right. I'm just going to cover from the basics. Yeah. So one of the first discussions I have is like we we need to bring the the range down so that in a speaker for the speaker or message whoever's delivering the message that that lighting is as even as possible going across the stage. So as they're walking across, they're not in and out of different uh, lighting values. I've, right. I've gone to churches where they've lit the podium or the pulpit where it's three stops brighter than the rest of the stage. Well, sure. as soon as they leave that area, now they're in shadows, and now you have somebody, if you even have anybody irising the yeah, camera, controlling the iris, whether right. it's the camera operator or somebody in the back yeah. room, they may or may not be doing it, or some places will put an auto iris, and now you've got the stage changing constantly right. in its values. <laughs> yeah. So one of the first things I coach is to, you know, if you have your stage wash lit evenly through the traditional theatrical method, which is the same in video too, is you want to have that smoothness of going across. And then it's controlling everything that's behind the speaker. Right. So right. if you're using video displays or if you're using a set, how bright is that set? If it's brighter than your talent, well, then now your talent's going to look dark or the set's going to look super bright right, and it's right. going to be annoying for the viewer. Right. Well, and even when you have the camera pointed at the speaker, sure. you're going to look at the brightest thing on the in right. the screen. It's no yeah. different whether you're looking at a, a display a video monitor or if you're looking at the stage, you're right. going to look at the brightest thing. Yeah. And again, that goes with saturated colors. You can have super saturated colors that are, they may not be that bright, but you know, if you have a blazing orange or red or white, yeah, that's, yeah. and you, know, you wind up losing detail too. Sure. So it's controlling that. Same thing with video displays as well. It's becoming more in the style of having a, uh, whether it's rear projection or if it's LED displays behind the speakers for different graphics and stuff, that's a light source in itself and you're pointing a camera directly at a light source. Right. So it's controlling the contrast range of that as well. So oftentimes it's lowering the uh, overall intensity of those screens. So in the room, as you mentioned before, that gets a little tricky because that's a device that you will notice a difference between you know how dim that that display is in the background. Looks great for video, but it may not be bright enough. Sure, depending on how big your room is. Now, obviously. why would you say the? So one of the things is you know that just maybe going back to the evenness of the message yes. lighting. If I'm sitting in a room and I've seen somebody walking through this, uh, you know, the different levels of lighting, there's a good chance I won't notice mm -hmm. that that's happening. Sure. And then I point a camera at it, and suddenly it's right. It's crazy happening. What? Why is that? I mean, so the the reason that is your eye, the iris in your eye responds much quicker mm -hmm. than the iris in a camera. Also, your brain makes up for the information that's lost right, or, okay. or is, yeah, either lost because it's blown out or it's lost because you just can't see it. Your brain knows enough to make, make up the difference for that. A camera is dumb. It has, sure. It's only going to show you what you set it up to show you. So whether you're an auto iris or you have it manually being adjusted by an operator, they're not going to respond as quickly and they're probably trying to hunt for that. So if your lighting is... Let's say the average that I recommend for, for lighting unevenness is like F4. So if you set your cameras at F4, this is a good exercise for, right. for people listening. Set your camera at F-stop 4 on your lens, and then you light to that F-stop for your message, right. so your speaker. And so then you want to have them walk across 
back and forth the stage, whatever that range is that they'll typically walk or to the limits that you set for each speaker. Right. Have them walk and follow the camera and see if it's even, if they go, so they get a little dark in areas, you know, you need to bring that up. Yeah. If they're too bright in an area, maybe you bring that down. So, but you just want to have it so that at F4, you don't have to make any adjustments on your iris. So, so starting from there, then you start going what's in the layers of the background. So right, right. If, um, if everything behind that speaker is at an F4 or brighter, that's going to be a problem, unless it's intentionally bright for a reason, if you right. want a guide light or something on sure. Um But you probably want to start dropping that down to a lower stop. So depending on what different venues may have, if they right. have, they may or may not have waveform, but you can look at a monitor and pretty much tell if something is too bright. Sure, right. Uh, so you would lower that down, and in my case, it'd be like a, a F2.8, so that's one stop lower. Okay. Or you may even go lower than that, depending on how much detail is in that, whatever's in that background. Right, right. So the more detail there is, the lower you want to go, because that detail can be distracting. Sure, right. And the same thing with color, whatever colors you throw on it, deeper saturated colors will help provide that depth the uh, the higher saturated when you get into your reds and oranges and yellows that are whites the closer right. to white you get the the more it could be distracting sure one thing i noticed just even in my own lighting story and seeing others there's the initial reaction is to have the light on the person giving the message front light full mm-hmm. and what i've found is you can't compete with the things behind the right. that person, it's hard to get up to that level mm-hmm. when lights at full, adjust the iris down. Now we've right. lost everything behind. Right. And so just even getting to the place of I used to say a lot here uh, when I was at Willow Creek, more backlight. I need mm-hmm. more backlight. I need right. to cut out the the image of that person more, right. more, more, more backlight. Well then right. at a certain point I figured out it's less front light is really the answer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, again, because it's back to controlling contrast, and that's why my recommendation is to set an f-stop that you want to be at. Uh, the reason why I choose f4 is because it gives enough lighting level that your camera operators can stay in focus if the person's moving. Okay, all right. You start getting into lower f-stop range, like a 2.8, and they start walking, you know, forward and backward and stuff. They're going to be in and out of focus. So depending on the skills of your camera operator, yeah. Um, I mean, it, that would be a challenge even for a, a professional operator to maintain that focus when you start getting into lower light levels. Sure, right. So an F4 is a good place to be. Five six is right on a range of now. It's getting to be too bright for everything else. Sure, right. Um, but as far as your point to going to full on the lighting. Uh, that's why I say if you set the f-stop, right. if you have to be at full, then you may be at the maximum limits of your lighting as it is now. Right. And then you're probably going to have to bring everything up. Yeah. And I would say when I first started here in 2004, the front light was at full, mm-hmm. very little backlight. And because you couldn't see anything behind because mm-hmm. it was too dark, mm-hmm. they ended up putting a video screen as the message background. Right. Because that was the only way they could bring that level up. Sure. Which is, a, it is a, a solution. Right. Certainly. Right. And different scenarios. I mean, obviously, if you can put more light in the backgrounds where you need it, mm-hmm. it may just be in the camera angles that you have. You don't have, if you don't want to light everything in the background, but right. light it to the camera angles that you have. Right. But again, if you're at, at full on your lighting, just to get to F4, then you probably don't have enough light on your, yeah, you don't need have more enough lights. lights. <laughs> yeah. Not lighting, but lights for your stage. Right, right. Even like, okay, so shooting worship, that's another area. 
you have a little more artistic license to to work on that. You can you know put them in saturated colors. It looks good, especially when we see music videos today, concerts right. and stuff. You can do that. There's other areas when we get into range of color temperature, which was what kind of sparked me when you were talking about going to full uh, color temperature. So if you have a house that's uh, the front front of house lighting is all tungsten, mm-hmm. and everything else on stage is uh, the LEDs or the arc source lights, where it tends to be more blue or daylight. Right. That's another challenge you get into because now the colors don't line up because the the camera again is is dumb and only knows yeah. what you tell it is white. So right. that's where you get into: is it a thirty two hundred setting? Is it a fifty six hundred setting? Right. Is it a white card setting? Because you're doing something in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, and basically the maybe just to explain a little bit if you're not a lighting person, the tungsten fixture is like a traditional ellipsoidal or basic par can. I mean, it's the it's what we've been using for years and years. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so your your source four lights, right. um, yeah. your par lights, and any other. Well, I think that's a lot of what uh, people are putting in. Yeah. Right, uh, right. On the tungsten sources, yeah. or they they probably have today. Yeah, it's that filament fixture, right? Right. That uh, is is tungsten generally, sure. and so that yeah, it's it's a much warmer white light than say an LED, which is yeah so much colder. Sure. And so you're combining all those color temperatures in one location, right? And where where you see the difference of that is that your talent looks right, but then all the the amazing blues you can see on stage, they start looking purple right, or right. some other color than what you see on stage, and right. that's because the camera is set. To be looking, you're telling the camera that white is at 3,200 Kelvin, right? And the light sources are at 56 or 9,600 Kelvin, yeah. which is in the bluer spectrum. So the more blue that's in there, the more deep, the more deeper that saturation is. Right. More deeper. More <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> We're not English majors. Sure. Here. We're good. <laughs> so uh, and then you also get into trouble like when you start trying to get into uh, teals or greens or you know it just it's all shifting. Right. Reds look magenta because you have that blue in that mix. Right. This also impacts when you're. Lighting is not at full, and you're on tungsten. You go less than eighty percent. Gets you start, warmer. You get yeah. a color temperature shift. Yes, then the lighting yeah. starts getting warmer. So it's introducing more red into the into your camera mix, which means now you're that's where your blues start going purple because it's right. adding red into those blues. Yeah, you bring that front light down. Now you're even further away. Color right. temperature wise, from what you're lighting your set with, right? Yeah. Then you go into the well. I can color correct the lights to bring them back up to 32, but when you start putting color correction, you start losing intensity. So then you start driving <laughs> yeah. that back yeah. up. So, well, it, and then even the interesting thing too is, you if we were only worried about what it looks like through the camera, mm-hmm. that we would do all kinds of maybe different things, different color temperature front light. Mm-hmm. But then in a live setting where you're mixing, people are in the room. They're watching it on a screen on the you know to the side. Now your people can see the difference, right? And so you really can't have very cold light front light because then the person looks blue to to the person sitting in the sure. room. Sure, when you if you color correct your front lights, your tungsten lights to be uh, in this case color temperature blue or full blue. So you bring that light that thirty two hundred light up to fifty six hundred. Now all of your stage lighting looks better, the color's rendering correctly mm-hmm. or close to what it should be. But then all of a sudden now the room is like, hey, how come everybody looks so blue or it looks cold? It, you know, it looks yeah. like it's a cooler light. That could come about 
several different ways. There's other ways you can correct that. One, one of the most common uh, errors I've seen both in television and in our studios in uh, house of worship rooms is that the house lighting is still tungsten. Right. So that yeah. your, your eye is referencing whatever light it's seeing. So if it's used to that house lighting that's at tungsten right. and now all of a sudden you bring up all your color corrected lights that are in the, in the blue spectrum or in the daylight spectrum, then it's like, well, everybody looks kind of bluish. Right, you know? right. So I, I always recommend like change out all the lighting in the house so that it matches the same color temperature. Uh, if it, you have makeup rooms and stuff, same thing. You got to change out like bathrooms, everything, so right. that people's eyes will adjust and your eye will say, oh, okay, this is white light. So when right. you walk in that room, it's going to look natural. Right, right. But if you have that contrast of, of color temperatures where your house lighting is still at tungsten and your stage lighting is at daylight, then that's when you're going to see that difference and people are, that doesn't look right. Right. So then it comes back to uh, one of the, the age old question is who are you lighting for? The people in the room or the people outside of the room? My question is what's everybody looking at in the room? They're looking at the video screen. Right. Because right. that's the brightest object sure, in yeah. the room, oftentimes. So, so if you have an IMAG situation, the first five, 10 rows are probably looking at the stage and everybody else is looking at the screen. Right. So if you kind of factor that in, the majority of people in the room are looking at the screens and then you're going to see that error in the video. Right, so, right. But it's still a value that you each individual venue has to make that decision of what's what's important. Right. You know, so. So talking about front light, color temperature, and having, you know, trying to match it to whatever the rest of your lights are at. And then as a result, maybe the the set lighting isn't rendering on the camera like it should. Maybe I'm mistaken in this thought process, but maybe you could shed some light onto it that the camera really can only see so many colors anyway. True. That the, you know, just like contrast and all that, there's only so much the camera can render accurately. True. And so how do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, the the camera limitations are both in uh, well, newer cameras coming out with a high dynamic range, which is great because it's extending the limits of how less light it can see into, or how little light it can okay. see into, to how much detail it can see in a really bright area as well. So, in the days that I started in television, it was approximately nine nine chips of contrast, or the range was sure, considered okay. nine. Now they're up to eleven, and the newer cameras are going to be even greater than that. It doesn't mean that you still you don't need any lighting. It just right. means you need to control lighting, and you're always going to have to control lighting. Right. The camera also has a limitation in how it renders color, how, right. how it can replicate that color on a visual display. There, and that has even greater limitations than the than the range of intensity that it can see. There are plenty of reference sites that can help you identify what colors they can see. I know, um, well, the companies that make gels and so on and so forth, they, they will have charts on their site that'll show you these, these, these colors. Friendly, yeah. These are video friendly. These colors will replicate mm-hmm. on, on video well. And then here's the colors that are outside that realm. So you get in trouble if you just rely on theatrical colors. And then with the newer LED systems, they uh, the lighting boards and stuff are now putting in their color charts. So you can see the swatch book, you know, so whether you use a physical swatch book of gels or you just use it as a reference in the, in the lighting board of what right. gels. I know that uh, each manufacturer, whether it's Roscoe or Lee, they have what they call a Cinegel pack. So okay. those are gels that are actually known to be, rep, that replicate well or close to their true colors. Okay. So if you have a theatrical swatch book and you're doing video and you want those colors to look well, 
put that book aside and go get the Cynegel from Leah Roscoe right. or look it up online. They'll, you can see that too. And there'll be a CIE chart that'll show you this is what video and film can see. Right. These are the colors and it'll have all the little pinpoints of colors and then all the colors in that swatch book that I can't replicate while it'll be outside that triangle. Sure, so right. that's, that's a really great place to start see what colors will work. Yeah, I know for, uh, especially with LED lights and even mm -hmm. uh, other moving lights, sure. I, this was beyond my technical ability, but I always okay. wanted to go into the lighting console and just say this, the red mm -hmm. button is going to be video friendly. Right. And we're going to eliminate all the colors that aren't friendly. Sure. You can't even get to them. Yeah. So when you're picking green or purple or whatever, we know that this purple works on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I never did that. Well, I'm sure on the lighting boards you can you can set those parameters. Right. Um, but I also know on um, some of the boards I've worked with uh, that are are video friendly boards. Okay. That's what's put in the stations and uh, television stations. You can actually pull up that swatch of video friendly colors, and then you just pick from that. Yeah. So, okay. But yeah, that's uh, that's another thing because uh, back in the old days of broadcast, it used to be what they call video, what was legal and illegal colors. Right, sure. And uh, when they said illegal, it actually was illegal when television <laughs> was regulated. <laughs> if you went outside those parameters, you would get fined. Oh, wow, jeez. <laughs> and so television, if you were supplying you know, your church service to a television station, and it was illegal, they would reject those programs. Sure. Nowadays, with the, you know, they don't regulate that as much as they used to. Right, but, right. Uh, but that's where you may have uh, old timers like me saying, you know, that's an illegal color. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> now, one thing we've sort of uh, talked about a little bit was is backlight. Yes. And so uh, maybe explain a little bit, like, what's the point and what, why use it? Sure. Um, yeah, so backlight uh, for theater, but I'll speak in video. Video is a two-dimensional format. You only have, and you're trying to create a three-dimensional world in a two-dimensional format. So what backlighting does is that helps you bring your subject, separates them from the background. There's in film, the difference between film and video, film-wise, they can use actual lighting in the background to bring that separation, but they usually, you know, that that's a design of, uh, coordination with design and sure. sets and stuff, but sp strictly with video, you want to have that separation. Now, there's always uh, I, I find that people have different tastes for how much backlight there is. There's mm -hmm. some people they want to have that really vivid outline on a backlight, right? And then there's more of the new style. I'll call it that okay. new style, where you have just enough backlight, where you it gives enough rim on their shoulders and back and neck to uh, to bring them out from the background. One of the, the flavors of the month, I'll just say for this last year or two, is uh, what they call the rim light or, uh, or you know, greasing the sides of the face. I oh, mean, yeah. I've heard it all yeah. different things where it's a really heavy, uh, it's, it's a backlight, but it's like a three-quarter or a quarter right, side right, light okay. and it comes across. That's great if you have uh, control over what you're shooting in a video. Right. I, I don't recommend it for speaking because then when they start turning side to side, it, it impacts right. the other camera angles. And it may not look as good, mm -hmm. but again, it's it's you know this is all subjective forum. Sure, you know, right. everybody has a different yeah. opinion on what it should be. Uh, but I think the backlight should be enough that it's obvious that it's separating the talent from right. the background. And I think so. for me, when it comes to a message time, mm -hmm. it needs to feel as normal as possible. Sure, versus artistic. Right. And so yeah, some of that side lighting right. just can feel a little bit too artistic for. I'm not, I don't want to be, dis this is not an art moment. This is a, right. I'm listening to someone talk. They're a real person. Right. They should look real. 
Yeah. Well, and a saying we used to have around here was uh, technology should never get in the way of the message. Right, People right. are paying attention that the technology failed. And, right. and that's, uh, that's a value that I think we should all have. Sure, that yeah. The message should be the most important thing, yeah. not what we think it should look like. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, come on, man. I'm taking that Because right now you look great in your video. Oh. Everybody can see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. As technology advances, we're getting more into LED lights and there's definitely a way that LED lights are interacting with cameras. Yes. And sometimes I see, you can see those lights flickering on camera where right. I can't see them flickering, you know, to my eye. What's going on there and what can I do about it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's a challenge, especially when you start getting into uh, purchasing lights that are off-brand, uh, we'll just call it off-brand, or uh, the cheap <laughs> lights that you get off of uh, Amazon or whatever. Sure, um, okay. Mono price. Yeah, say that? Um, yeah. yeah. Probably shouldn't name brands, but <laughs> yeah. So that that light you think is a great value. It looks great to your eye and stuff. The camera may not like it very much at all. And and when you get into refresh rates, and what it is is just the LED lights is what's considered a discontinuous source, similar to fluorescent lights and HMI lights or arc lights that mm-hmm. you may have in your moving fixtures. They're discontinuous, meaning that 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 lighting is uh, is for a simple d- description is pulsing. Okay. So your eyes don't see that pulsing unless it's an old fluorescent fixture, and you might see that pulsing, that right. flicker. But the but your eye doesn't. It makes again your eye makes up for information that's not there. Tungsten fixtures is a constant burn source, so you're not going to see that flicker unless, of course, the filament's going to burn. Sure, out. right. But, <laughs> yeah. So LEDs are the same thing. It's a discontinuous light source. When the timing of that on-off pulsing is not in sync with the timing of your shutter speed in your camera or the uh, refresh rate of the camera, mm-hmm. that's where you're going to start to see that kind of flickering or that scan roll or whatever. Right. It's probably more, uh, you see that more in CMOS cameras than you do CCD cameras. Okay, the CMOS is the newer The CMOS, newer tech- right. Yeah. It's a newer technology in your Canon cameras and other uh, cameras it's very popular right right so one of the things that i incur it doesn't matter who i'm specking equipment for is i'll always strongly recommend that you look before you buy these lights you look at them on camera and see how they work because okay. even major manufacturers there may be an issue with the particular camera you have because right. it could be the other spectrum where you're buying a great light but the camera is cheap and right. it's not gonna you know be yeah. able to adjust so so regardless of what kind of camera you have, you should always test your LED lighting on camera to see how well it looks, not only in the refresh rate, but it's also important to see what it's doing with flesh tones as well. Because again, that light could look great on that person's face all by itself, but then when you start adding all the other lights, like why does this look green? Now? Right, right. Because yeah. you, again, your eye is making up for the difference in the color reference of white, right. but the camera is stupid. Can't, it's just yeah. going to be like, oh, okay, well, I, you told me this is white. This this LED light doesn't have the full spectrum of color in it. It, it kind of shifts green, and that's how the manufacturer gets away with selling it so cheap. Sure, yeah. And uh, you know, now you got a, no, a new problem. Now, I've also heard people say, well, we'll just white balance the LED lights. Well, then, then like in the corporate world, you get into trouble if... The corporate branding is a certain color. So if there's an insurance company that has a certain blue, or if there's a fast food restaurant that has reds and yellows, and it's a very it's a branded color. Right. And you white you color correct that white so flesh tone looks good, but now their logos don't look good. Right. Yeah. Or your church logo. Yeah. Right. You know, that's your brand. 
now what do you do? Because yeah. you've got to color correct one or the other, <laughs> you know, so. It's interesting. Uh, so uh, we have a mutual friend that does a lot of LED work with the ribbon advertisement around the soccer pitch. Yes. And so what they do is they green balance their cameras mm -hmm. so that the grass looks really green. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously white yeah. still needs to work. And then they point the camera at this ribbon mm -hmm. and put the Coca-Cola logo on it. Mm -hmm. And then they adjust the graphic, yes, so that it the then the color red matches on the camera, right? So if you're in the in there live, yeah, Coke yeah. doesn't look so great, but on sure. camera it looks exactly, yeah. And well, they do that with every logo. And I, again, that's the biggest audience, and that's right. where the money is going. Yeah. So, uh, and with the with church is no different. Um, you need to, because we didn't really touch too much, that might be a whole other podcast, yeah. but your graphics need to be adjusted too for display, if it's going to be on-camera display. Oh, right, right. So so your whites can't be at 100% white because if, as soon as they show up on that display, it's going to get blown out. So you're right. probably going to want to adjust your whites down to 80% value. Um, same thing with colors. Not all the colors, it's no different than lighting. The colors in your graphics may not replicate well on right. video. So again, this is a light source, so it kind of, falls in that gray area of is it lighting, is it video? Right, it's right. both. It's it's the same and thing. And I think too the the idea of cheap LED lights, cheap TV displays, cheap cameras, like part of what you're if you're buying a more expensive thing, typically those LED lights have you can adjust the refresh rate. Right. Uh, on a TV, you can pick the color temperature that you're sure. living inside of. You know, right. camera, you can adjust a lot of these things that that's really to to get a good looking video. You're really needing to say how how can we buy quality equipment sure. that we can make it work for us. Sure. And on the other side of the coin of the people are saying, well, that's all great if you have the money to do that. Right. I'm lucky I get money for uh, you know launch. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so to to speak to that portion of the audience, it's like you know if you're working with what you have, and we all have to do that, right then it's just understanding that it just requires a little more work on the other side of things. So right. if that means, you know, you have to spend more time getting your graphics correct, like you were saying with the soccer stadium, then right. you need to build that time in. Right. You're making yeah. up for the difference of what you, you can't afford to purchase. Unfortunately, then, and you want to, because I know the, the whole point of Philo is to, to get that balance too. You don't want to treat your time as a commodity, meaning you get steamrolled all the time. Right. Where everybody yeah, makes yeah. it your problem. Yeah. But at the same time, if it is your problem, then right. you need to, you know, you balance that out. It's like, okay, this is what I'm going to buy. I know it's not the best. And I know I'm going to have problems, but then you need to factor that in because that's part of the cost. Sure. It's always part of the cost of now it's your time and what's yeah. the value of that and how much time do you want to put into correcting it so that it does look good. Right. And I think too, the even the idea of the graphics, the, you know, making sure they look great on camera. The more you do this, mm -hmm. the more you realize, okay, it's got to be seventy-five percent, sure. not eighty percent, right. or you know, you're just figuring out what is the workflow so right. that this all looks great. And I think you said something too that's really important. If you don't have the money and need to buy the cheaper things, get one, try it, yes. make sure it works with your with the you know the system you have right. before you buy it. There's probably something out there that works great. Right. But test it first. Yeah, and it, you know, and it, there's a value and I'm going to put this plug in because I've been on that side of it too where yeah, it's always great to go to the one of the famous box resellers that's uh -huh. out in New York <laughs> that's closed <laughs> yeah. on certain uh, religious <laughs> holidays. 
to buy that product all the time. But you know, when you have a problem or it doesn't work, who's going to help you? And that's right. I have a high value with developing close working relationship with vendors that can help you get those decisions because they're going to have that knowledge and expertise to say, okay, if this is what you have for your budget, right. here are some products that will work and you won't have as many problems if you don't if you can't afford the high end stuff um, but you know don't use that vendor that person that you're partnering with to give you all the answers and then you run off to your favorite box reseller on the right east coast yeah yeah <laughs> and buy everything from them because that's not you know that's yeah. you wouldn't feel good if somebody asked you to you know come over and fix your car and then they don't even offer you a glass of water so sure, right yeah <laughs> so, I don't know. That's a bad yeah. example, but um, but there is value in that. Like if you have a limited budget to to bring in, I mean, you're going to pay a little bit more, but that's because they're going to have that knowledge and they're going to stand behind it sure, too. If right. you have a problem where it's not working the way you'd like it to, you're probably going to have a little more flexibility to get that resolved, and and you're getting additional knowledge to right, help right. you solve that problem. Yeah. Uh, so Jim, as we wrap up, you do a lot of work with Barbizon, which is a company. I'm assuming you. I mean, that you would recommend people could use them as a resource in this area? Sure. Lighting-wise, yeah, I'm not an employee of Barbizon, oh, but yeah. I, I do a lot of uh, consulting with them and, or they'll hire me as a consultant. But Barbizon is one of many companies out there right. that... Uh, I, I like Barbizon because they're national. Sure. So they're, it's depending on where you live, especially if you're in a region where you don't have a lot of uh, resources right. available... They're very good. I highly recommend them right. to help you resolve your... And so if you're ever at NAB, if you're listening, Jim typically is teaching a class on lighting, a t- class or two on lighting at the Barbizon booth. Sure. So 15 years. Of it oh, then. wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's ca- case studies. So what I'll do is I'll take lighting situations and uh, break it down in terms of here's a short film we did or here's a, a venue project we did. How do, how do you do that? What are some of the problems and how do you resolve right, those? Yeah. So. So it's usually great content, but it's also they have chairs there so you can sit yes. down. When yes. Your feet hurt. It's a great yes. a great rest, yes. resting time. Yes. I'll make sure Barbazon sponsors this too. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't fishing for that, but yeah. 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 Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us sure. today. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. See ya. Thanks. Like I said at the top of this episode, this is one of my favorite topics. And we thank God that someone like Jim's out there who cares about helping churches look amazing and can explain the ideas. You know, one of the most practical things for me was the part of the conversation about setting the f-stop of your camera and then adjusting lighting for that. I've been in quite a few places where we leave it up to the person shading the cameras to make up for the variance in lighting. And at a certain point when I was at Willow Creek, we decided, well, let's give this idea a shot. And we set all the cameras to the f-stop we wanted and then used rehearsal to kind of adjust lighting levels to match that setting. And not that the shaders had nothing to do, but over time, we just began to remember, oh, it needs to be, this light needs to be this bright and this light, this bright over here. And coming up with, you know, foot candle levels for different things. Yeah, so it just became part of our process, became natural and videos look amazing. Anyway, it's so great to have Jim on the podcast today. All right, now that we're in the new year, it's time to think about Philo 2019. Our price will be changing in six weeks or so, so yeah, why not register? This podcast episode is a good example of what a breakout might be like at Philo, and we'll have about 45 classes this year to help make us better as technical artists. Last year we had 35, the last couple of years, so 45, yeah, we're, we're adding to it. Anyway, you should come. 
We'll have a few important announcements coming up in the next few weeks about main session speakers and breakout teachers, so stay tuned. And you know the best way to stay tuned? Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you're listening to this. Just, yeah, sign up. Subscribe, and you'll be up to date on all the latest news around Philo in general and Philo Conference in 2019. Okay, so Christmas is over. We've already talked about that, but you know what? If you haven't gotten us your Christmas gift yet, we'd still love that review on iTunes. would be awesome. You know, we're kind of in the 12 days of Christmas, so I think it could still count. We'll call it, uh, yeah, an epiphany gift. Why not? Uh, I don't know if it's a thing. Maybe it is, but if it isn't, let's start it. Okay, we'll start something. Cool. If you want to follow such social media, Philo Community, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. We'd love feedback or new ideas for podcasts, so shoot us an email, philopodcast at fusion.productions. Anyway, Happy New Year. 